Oh, maybe we better read the story, huh? Would you open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2? And we are going to read uh, the uh, story of the visit of the Magi or the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 12 in preparation for some thoughts. After Jesus was born, Matthew says, he was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. When Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for that's what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with, the mother, with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's ask the Lord's blessing this morning on this portion of his word. Lord, we're in this series uh, on the Gospel of Matthew, and now today we come to this story of the wise men, the Magi, and their encounter with Jesus. Lord, we pray that you'd bring us into that same presence today. Help us to know you and to see you and to learn to love you better as a result of our study of this passage. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In one of his uh, biographies, uh, the astronomer Carl Sagan tells how he fell in love with the stars. I was five years old, he says, and my mother got me a library card and I checked out a book about the stars. So the scale of the universe suddenly opened up to me. It was a kind of religious experience. There was a magnificence to it, a grandeur, a scale that has never left me. And it never did leave him. Sagan went on to become a recognized expert, a modern wise man, if you will, in the science of studying the stars. In fact, his 1984 award-winning series, Cosmos, is still the most widely viewed program in public broadcasting system history, even today. Unfortunately, though, Sagan wasn't very wise in the biblical sense. Uh, one at, once asked, do you believe in God? He replied, well, if by God you mean the physical laws that govern the universe, well, then clearly there is a God. But I really don't find such a God very satisfying. I mean, it really doesn't make much sense to pray to the law of gravity now, does it? Sagan saw stars, billions 
and billions of them, as he used to like to say. But they didn't lead him to a personal God, to a God who cares, and thus they didn't lead him to a God who ultimately could satisfy. Well, reading Sagan's statement, I couldn't help but comparing him with this different set of wise men that we've just read about in Matthew chapter 2, these magi, and some of the things they learned about the stars. In fact, as I began to pursue the study of the stars, it it dawned on me that the key to this whole passage is that second part of verse 2, and that's where we'll focus today. We're not going to try to examine the whole passage, but just focus on that second part of verse 2 where it says, We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And I'm entitling this, Three Things Biblically Wise Men and Women Know About the Stars. The first is this. There are stars and there are stars. Easy point, isn't it? But you know, the wise men, the magi of Jesus' day, well, they trafficked in stars. That's, that's what they did for a living. Uh, uh, they, uh, if there was something different about a star, they would notice it. And apparently there was something different about the star. So they knew that there are stars, and then there are stars, and something about this star caused them to think of him, his star, Jesus' star. We saw his star, the verse says. Well, in fact, its appearance must have been unusual. These guys who study the skies at night, there must have been something up there that caught their attention. And then when I look down at verse 9, it says that after they had heard the king, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. There's something unusual about the star, however you interpret this verse. And so, you know, it's natural for us to ask, what in the world was this thing? What was this star? And the truth is, we really just don't know. Some say it could be a star like, you know, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn is the guess of some people. That conjunction happened right around 7 B.C. Uh, And in ancient astrology, a conjunction of those two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, were associated in the right place in the sky with the country of Judea. And so it's guessed that maybe these astrologers who knew astrology would have been led to Judea as a result of that. Now that fits the use of the word star in the Bible. The word star could mean planet, but it really doesn't fit the movement or the motion of this particular star, and it really doesn't fit exactly in the time frame either. So then others say, well, okay, if you want to bring in the movement then, maybe this is a comet. And as a matter of fact, you know Halley's Comet? Have you heard of Halley's Comet? Halley's Comet did appear right around 12 B.C., and that would have covered some of the movement, and a comet still came under the rubric of star in the New Testament use of the word. But actually, 12 B.C. is a little bit early as well, and it doesn't really fit the phenomena here either. Coming and going and appearing and disappearing doesn't seem to fit. Well, then what is this thing? Well, evangelicals typically say it's some kind of a supernatural occurrence, and I agree with that. 
I think James Montgomery Boyce has caught it like this, uh, and I think he's on track. He says, more than likely the star here was an appearance of that Old Testament, what's called Shekinah, the glory of God in the Old Testament, that glory that entered the tabernacle. The star here was more than likely the Shekinah, the glory of the Father that accompanied the people of Israel in the desert wanderings. Well, whatever it was. It was strange to these wise men, these people who studied the stars, as it is to us. Otherwise, it would not have caught their attention. You see, the Magi may not have known much about God, but they knew stars. And when they saw a star, they knew something that was extraordinary, and they knew when it was happening, and they would have taken note. So that's my first observation here. Uh, There was something unusual about the star. There are stars, and there are stars. Now, a second observation about the unusualness of the star. Have you noticed when you read through the Bible that unusual events are sort of a pattern in Scripture? I mean, we, we run into this frequently enough to make it almost a regular thing. The, the first and most famous one that came into my mind is uh, the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. You know, Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, and he led the flock to the side of the desert and came to this uh, site of Horeb. And there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, the flames of fire from within a bush. Now, nothing unusual about that. I mean, we all can see, you know, bushes burning. What was unusual about it is that this bush caught on fire and it didn't burn up. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. It just keeps burning and going and it's like the little energizer bunny of a bush. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. In other words, in this unusual thing, God appeared. Now, those things happen in the Bible. I won't go through a long list of them, but there's Balaam's talking donkey in the Old Testament. That's got to be one of the most unusual stories I've ever read. Or how about Paul's flash of light in the New Testament? That's, that's an unusual occurrence. These things just don't happen all the time. But my point is that God often takes these unusual occurrences and uses them of ways of catching our attention so that he can speak to us in ways that we would hear him that we wouldn't have heard him in any other way. Well, that brings me now to a question. I guess, making application for us, my question is, hey, think about that. What's out of the ordinary in your life right now? Is there anything unusual going on? Now, I'm not asking you if you've seen a strange star that moves through the sky. I'm not asking if you've seen a bush that burns and burns and burns and doesn't burn up. But how about something like, you know, maybe a piece of news that you've received recently. Maybe you got a a letter or an email or someone made a passing comment to you or you received a doctor's report and, and something was there that you didn't expect. How about that? 
Or, or maybe you were just doing your devotions one morning in the past week or month or so, and, and you had this vivid impression that God was saying something to you in your time of prayer, and it stayed with you. How about that? Something like that? Has that happened to you? Or maybe it's some past event that you maybe even had forgotten for a while, but all of a sudden now this event just keeps surfacing. To the, you, Maybe you dream about it. Maybe you think about it. Maybe it just keeps coming. Is something like that going on in your life right now uh, uh, that you can't forget? Or maybe it's an illness or a hurt or some kind of a loss that you've experienced. I don't know what it is. Whatever it may be, though, I think one of the things we learn from this passage is that wise men and women pay attention to just these kinds of things. They're often God's way of getting our attention. Now I can hear somebody objecting, well, you know what, these, these things happen all the time. I mean, dreams, come on, Jim, and impressions during the prayer. Well, let me just remind you of a poem I heard once that goes like this. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush is a fire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes what do you see in your life today what's God doing how has God spoken to you recently there's something unusual there are stars and there are stars that brings me to a second observation. Okay, you've spotted this star. You've made a note of it. You've jotted it down. You think, no, okay, I, I need to be alert to that. Well, second thing I see happening here is following God's stars tend to be inconvenient and even confusing. Inconvenient. So it says in verse 2, the last part, we saw his star in the east and have come. Now, that little phrase that buries a whole lot, that's a 900 mile trip by camel. That's not an easy trip. It wasn't the kind of thing you just do every day. It wasn't convenient for them at all. I like the way one man put it. He says, when the Magi saw the star, they followed it. They didn't know where it would lead. They didn't know how long it would take. They rearranged their schedules, found someone to water the plants and feed the cats, and they followed the star. The Magi were willing to rearrange their lives to check out what God was doing in their world. When the star appeared, the Magi followed it. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. But still, it raises a question, doesn't it? It makes me wonder, I don't know about you, why do God's stars have to be so inconvenient? Well, not just inconvenient. Confusing. Now, notice this. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. But the last part of verse 1, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I'm asking, what happened here? They see this star, and instead of going right to Bethlehem, they end up in Jerusalem, which was something like about, oh, maybe five, ten miles away. So what happened? Star breakdown? Uh, GPS no longer working? Well, what happened here? Well, why did they miss, you know, after a 900 mile trip, psh, they end up in the wrong place? 
Well, I think what Matthew does in this story is to try to show us that following God's star tends to be a mix of things that are supernatural, things that involve common sense, and sometimes even just getting good old-fashioned advice, asking where you are on the trip. So the supernatural. Well, there's the star, and we've already talked about that. But look, it only gave limited direction at this point. It didn't take them to the right place. It just said something's happening over there. So now they begin to use good old-fashioned common sense, and that's what Christians do. The Christian life is a mix of the supernatural with some common sense. And common sense would tell them it only makes sense to go to Judea if you've seen the star. I mean, where else would a Jewish baby typically be born? That's just common sense, isn't it? And it only makes common sense to go to Jerusalem, the Judean capital. I mean, common sense would tell you where else would a Jewish king typically be born? Well, in the capital city, wouldn't you think? And yet even common sense didn't take them the whole way. Was it wrong for them to use common sense? No. But common sense only took them part of the way. And so then they stop and they get a little advice. So the magi, the wise men come in and they're consulted. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the kings, uh, the Herod's court are consulted uh, as the magi uh, attempt to find out what is going on. And, and, and they ask people that should know, these wise men and students of the law. In fact, they did know. After they opened the Bible, they consulted Scripture, and it says, no, not, not Jerusalem, Bethlehem. That's where it's going to happen. So you see, this combination of supernatural, common sense, studying Scripture, you know, it's this, it's this mix. It's this, it's this, and isn't that the way you find God's will in your life? There will be those events that you can't explain, those, those things that happen, and you'll try to apply common sense, and that'll take you a little bit away, and then you, you ask you know, people that should know. And, 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 and so that's what they did. And yet it's also confusing. Miracles only go so far. Common sense has its limits. Sometimes even the experts turn out to be, you know, uninterested, disinterested in your life and what's going on and unreliable or even worse, like Herod, they actually can turn out to be enemies, people who would lead you in the wrong direction for the wrong reasons. And again, it makes me wonder, why are God's stars so confusing? Well, you'll recognize the the name John Newton. He's the the fellow that wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, that uh, song was published in 1779, and it's been called one of the most recognizable songs in the English-speaking world. And as soon as I say to you Amazing Grace, you'll, oh yeah, I know that song. Well, John Newton also wrote bunches of other poems and songs and I want to introduce you to one of his lesser known works Uh, it's a prayer and it goes like this and I think it's a part of an answer to the questions I'm asking why so inconvenient and why so confusing and Newton says in his prayer I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. 
I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answered my request. You ever feel that way? Bang! Instant answer. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins, make me whole and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed. I love this one. Blasted my gourds. You know what he's talking about? Jonah in the Old Testament that was under the bush and God sent the little worm and killed the bush. Blasted my gourds and laid me low. Took away all my refreshment. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue this worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer, pray, prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. You get it? Why so inconvenient? Why so confusing? Because God is teaching us to come to Him, to know Him, to sense Him, and He'll use every means at His disposal to help us grow in that way. However difficult or confusing your extraordinary circumstances might be right now, I would encourage you. It's an invitation to growth. It's an invitation to God. Don't get discouraged. And then that brings me to my third and final point here. God's stars, I believe, are designed to bring us to Jesus and then to send us away changed. Uh, And that's exactly what Matthew is telling us. You see the third part of the phrase in 2b, we saw a star in the east and have come. There's the 900-mile trip. And now to worship him. Well, if you look down in verse 11, in about the middle of verse 11, they did worship him. They offered their gold and their incense and their myrrh. It says they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I don't know if that means they became believers at this point. I believe Matthew's using this in part symbolically, that that's what our stars are to do for us. They're to bring us to Jesus, and they're to bring us to our knees, and they're to bring us to see in this unexpected child, this unexpected, unanticipated, frail-looking, weak child. They're expecting us to come to this, this strange thing and worship Him, to bow down and give our life over him. And not only that, Matthew says something else in verse 12. He says in the last part of verse 12, that after they worshipped him, now again I'm going to read this symbolically, they returned to their country by another route. In other words, they went back to Babylon or wherever it was they came from, but they didn't go back the same old trail. That's what Jesus does to us. He doesn't remove us from our jobs. He doesn't take us from our homes. He doesn't break up our marriages. He doesn't move us out of our families. He takes us back where we started from, but He takes us back a different trail. I think both of those statements are important. And I think I'd summarize spiritually Matthew's point by saying two things. 
The star brought the wise men to Bethlehem. Jesus brought them to their knees. And when the wise men left Bethlehem, they were changed. Every time you and I have a worship encounter with Jesus, exactly that same thing should happen. We should be brought to our knees. And once we've encountered him, we should go away changed. I came across a story uh, that illustrates this point. Uh, It's in his book, Gospel, by J.D. Greer. And he describes an incident from his work among the Muslims in Southeast Asia. We've been reading reports of some of the marvelous conversions that have been happening among Islamic people in some wonderful ways. Well, J.D. Greer tells about one of these. He says, one day I received a call from a man that I'd never met. His name was Mahmoud. And Mahmoud had had this recurring dream. And in his dream, Mahmoud wandered aimlessly in this, aim, in this endless field. And the field, in his dream, seemed to symbolize his life. In it, he was alone. He felt without purpose. He had no true companionship. He had no sense of direction. And after walking what in his dream seemed like days, he heard this voice calling out to him, called his name Mahmoud. Mahmoud. And turning, he saw a man who reached into his Middle Eastern robe and he pulled out a copy of the Bible and tried to give it to Mahmoud. This, the man said, will get you out of the field. Well, Mahmoud was a faithful Muslim. And so he refused even to take the book. It would have been a sacrilege. But he woke up. He woke up in a sweat. His heart was beating rapidly and he was feeling anxious and afraid. This experience occurred several times, he says to Greer, until at last Mahmoud gave in and took the Bible from this man's hand. So now on the telephone call, Mahmoud says to Greer, I'm told that you're an expert in the Bible. Can you interpret this dream for me? Now, Greer says, I was raised in a very traditional Christian home, and dreams or visions weren't a part of that tradition. But for the next two hours, you can imagine that I took advantage of that invitation, and he did. He says, I explained to him the gospel. And when I got to the part about how Jesus had taken his sin on the cross, Mahmoud said, Allah, the Creator God, dying in my place, O Allahu Akbar which I understand means God is great. It was obvious to Greer that Mahmoud had understood in his own background and terminology. So he asked him if he would like to place his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Mahmoud said yes. So then Greer says, you know, have you really understood the cost of what I'm asking you to do? Mahmoud, I said, you might lose your job. You might get kicked out of your family. Your commitment to Christ might even cost you your life. I'll never forget what he said, Greer says. He smiled and said, of course I know that. That's why I was so afraid to come to you in the first place. I knew that if I became a follower of Jesus, it might cost me everything. But if Jesus is God... And if God gave himself like that for me on the cross, it just doesn't matter. If I lose my job, my family, my life, it's okay.
I'd go anywhere with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying all of our experiences of God's extraordinary events are like that. Not nearly that dramatic. I suspect not that dramatic at all. But what I am saying is this. That's what God's stars are designed to do. They bring us to Jesus, don't they? And then they send us away changed. As a little boy, Carl Sagan wanted to know about stars. And what he discovered, he said, was stunning. He said, the scale of the universe suddenly opened to me. There was magnificence to it, a grandeur, a scale that has never left to me. I wish Sagan's stars could have taken him a little bit further in his spiritual journey, but they never did. When my husband died, his wife is reported as saying, people would ask if Carl changed at the end and converted to a belief in an afterlife. They ask if I think I'll ever see him again. And the answer to both of those questions is no. What a waste of God's stars. What a waste of God's stars. According to Matthew, what biblically wise men and women know is that God has a better purpose for his stars than that. We've just looked at three of them. He sends them to get our attention, doesn't he? He designs them to be instruments of growth in our lives, doesn't he? And he uses us, them to bring us to Jesus and give us the opportunity to go away changed. And so that's my thought for us this morning. How's it with your star today? I know it's probably inconvenient. It might even be a little confusing, maybe a lot. But how about it? Are you letting it accomplish its work? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for passages like this in your word. They're homey. They come home to us. They remind us that you really are a God who speaks. You're just talking to us all the time. It's we who sometimes fail to listen. Lord, we're not saying that circumstances are the ultimate directive in our life. We're not saying that stars are the end and uh, completion of your will. That only comes from your word. But you do use those events. You do use those impressions. You do use those circumstances to help us explore more your word and to drive us more deeply into our understanding of you and to see our lives changed as a result. And so, Father, this morning we pray that as we begin this new year, you would do that in our lives. Help us to follow your star. Help us to find you at the end and help us as a result to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.